Calgary, Calgary, I'm there, April 21, 22, 23, come laugh with me in Calgary, and then I'm in Philadelphia for Cinco de Mayo, I dated a girl named Michelle Tamayo, she has a sister named Marlene Tamayo, you say Cinco de Mayo, I say Cinco de Mayo. <laughs> Hey guys, it's a new podcast. What? Thank you. It's a new podcast. Uh, it's a great podcast. Uh, those are my dates. Calgary this weekend, the 21st through 23rd of April. Philadelphia, Cinco de Mayo, Brea Improv, 13, 14, 15 of May. DC Improv, 19 through 21. Helium, St. Louis, 26 through 28. Blocked. Ooh, and June's a big month. I'm not going to tell you the exact date, but Birth the Conqueror starts airing in June. On your birthday. Schomburg, 9, 10, 11, Flappers, Orlando, Funny Bone, Columbus, Syracuse. I'm adding some new dates to fill up the rest of the fall. And that is my schedule. Uh, today's podcast. I think, hey, babe, do we have an advertisement this month? Yeah. We have an advertisement this month. Squarespace. Squarespace? Hold on one second. My wife will be in here two seconds. You don't play. Oh, here's my lovely wife, Leanne Kreischer. Leanne's having a bit of a day, and you can vent if you'd like. They don't mind hearing it. Fuck, is this a mess? Everything in this house is a mess. Exactly like that. It's just knotted wires and cords everywhere and bad printer cartridges and stuff, and I'm having a bad day. But if you're trying to build a website... Which, if you were building a website today, you'd be getting your ass handed to you, correct? I would be, yeah. Uh, but if I were, then I should probably choose to use Squarespace.com because it's super user-friendly, really, really user-friendly to build your own website. Uh, and this episode is brought to you by Squarespace. You can start building your website today at Squarespace.com. And if you enter the offer code BERTCAST, B-E-R-T-C-A-S-T, at checkout, you get 10% off your first purchase. If, Square, if Squarespace could only change a printer cartridge, I'd be so happy. Hey, how about this, guys? Go to Squarespace and just build some some real great Leanne-friendly websites and then send them to us so that Leanne's got a website for Georgia. I'm sweating my ass off and you're making me hotter, okay? <laughs> Fucking hot as shit right now. No, you can't play the piano. Mom and I are working. That's what bought that piano. All right. Can I tell you my new my new venture? Uh-huh. I wanted you know that Mike Isla, stop it. George, both you guys, stop. When we add on to this house, we won't even ever have to see them anymore. We can just close the door. We can close the door and just throw some food on the floor and wish them the best. Oh, I can't wait. Um, Michael Strahan left live with Regis and Kelly. Michael Strahan is a never mind. My whole goal is to get on live. I want to be the new co-host on live with Regis and Kelly. Do you really? Yep. I want to. I want to be the new co-host. But Regis hasn't been on there for years. Oh yeah, live with Michael and Kelly. It's going to be live with Bert and Kelly. Kelly and Bert probably. Cause she'll go first. Yeah. And then we'll have to move to New York. Would you be comfortable with that? I don't know. Maybe. I can do. I, you know what I can do is what Michael does is I'll just take private jets back on Fridays. What? 
So you'd live there Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, come home Friday, Saturday, Sunday? My stand-up would be spectacular. I would just hang out at the store or at the cellar every night and just work stand-up, come home, see you guys on the weekend. You do all like the heavy lifting shit? I already do all the heavy lifting shit. Then there you go. There you have it. Isla, shut up. All right. Today's guest is uh, is a big, I, I'd say in the t- industry, we use a term called get. It's a big get for me. I'm a big fan of hers. I've been a big fan. You know, I was said this to her on the podcast, and I don't, it, I don't know if it's, uh, it sounds odd to think that me, like the uh, quintessential bro comic, or I like, think that's what people who don't do my style of comedy, did I call it? But uh, but I, I'm inspired the most by um, a lot of female com- comedies, comedians, or like my favorite comedians. And this person and Sarah, and Sarah Silverman and Janine Garofalo were big inspirations to me when I just left college and I was trying to watch comedy. And it's so funny, I don't have like my, you know, obviously I loved Kinnison when I was in sixth grade, but there was a real gap um, in guys to watch that, you know, like the I just didn't have that guy. And I saw her, I saw Janine Garofalo. And I, I saw Sarah, Sarah Silverman. And I saw Sarah live. But I uh, was, I think these guys, and I'll tell her on this podcast, you'll hear that in a second, just really inspired me to kind of do a different style of stand up. And I, I would venture to say that I'm not technically a bro comic, that I'm a storyteller, kind of stream of consciousness. And we write very similarly, me and her. And I was really excited to talk to her. And I sat down in her house, which is absolutely gorgeous, Leanne. Gorgeous house. You would love it. Um, she's got a new album. Her name's Margaret Cho. I should say that right now so you know who we're talking about. But you've already downloaded this, you know who it is. Um, she's got a new album called American Myth. It's she's on her website. It says pay what you want. Go to her website. It's at margaretcho.com. Margaret is M-A-R-G-A-R-E-T-C-H-O. Um, she's got a new video out called uh, the Anna Nicole song. Uh, it's it's uh, it's out right now and you can see it. I watched it just five minutes ago. It's fantastic. It's really great. She's got a great story about Anna Nicole. We end up talking about a lot of great stuff about comedy, sexual assault, uh, Racism. What, Georgia, the podcast is not meant for you, baby girl. Maybe when you're in college, you listen to this and go, God damn, my dad hung out with some cool chicks. Um, so enjoy the podcast. It's a fantastic podcast. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, Margaret Cho. This is the It's long. It's a long eyelash. I, hate, I always hate saying this to anyone of Asian descent, but it's in... Uh, in Asian culture, they never put pluck uh, long hairs. Mm-hmm. So I had a woman at a general meeting one time, saw the eyelash, she was Asian, and she was like, oh my God, don't mess with that. That's good luck. Yeah. And she ended up buying the show. So I was oh, like, good. I was like, oh, okay. So I get them every time I'm about to start making money. Oh. Yeah, let me make sure we are. Yep. All right. Great. I'm here with Margaret Cho. I don't. Know, I never do that in my podcast, but thank you so much for doing this. Thank you. It is good luck. Uh, any sort of um, long hair. You know what else? Like because it's like longevity. Yeah. And um, an unbroken line. Also, in Korean culture, anytime you dream of a lot of feces, it means that you're going to make a huge amount of money. I'm an aggressive dreamer. Like I, I, I uh, lucid dream. Mm-hmm. So like my dreams are insane. So as soon as you say that you planted the seed, I'll be dreaming of eating my own shit. Well, it's it's very. <laughs> it has something to do, I think, with Koreans. The the word um, dong, which is for shit, is is similar to tun, which is for money. Yeah. So it's something to do with the language, but also it's sort of a folklore thing. But I also think it's real yeah. because it happens. Like there, there's a weird. <laughs> You know, can I tell you the thing that I'm overwhelmed with right now is how small you are. 
any teeny t- <laughs> I, I I don't know if it's from watching you in like theaters or like seeing your your all of your all of your ads for anyone anything you've ever done is so <laughs> large the notorious yes. CHO and and like that you, I thought you'd be ten feet tall. I'm <laughs> I'm being dead serious. I was like oh, I'm gonna yeah. get there and we'll be eye to eye. Yes, and you are like you are like petite I'm as very petite. shit. <laughs> like. <laughs> gonna make a lot of money with yeah. this little with this little 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 frame yes. so uh uh um um we talked at the very beginning about straddling generations and i um one of the things that impresses me the most about your career is that i feel like society opened up just enough or maybe you forced your way into society just enough that you started in a business that was horrifically sexist racist homophobic and then in a weird way you kind of help break down that barrier where it's a conversation now mm-hmm. and there are fan bases that are that are fan bases that are straight up uh gay like yes. that and i'm curious because i was working on some sort of a bit of like not to, to saying to an audience like acknowledge how good of a person i have become mm-hmm. because i grew up in a shitty world in the south mm-hmm. like you never get a, like a pat in the back like hey man just Hey, thanks for not saying any hateful words in the past five years. <laughs> but like, what's that like for you to see that that change in audiences? I don't know. I'm not sure if it was me or I feel like, you know, it, it, it's sort of a collective shift in the way that people change and society changes. And, you know, um, my inspiration early on was Harvey Milk because I was around a lot of young gay people who were very into him politically. And then so it was like a shift of, of like going, growing up and doing comedy at a lot of AIDS benefits and, and doing um, a lot of like political activism. And then also comedy that was sort of that my training ground so maybe that has to do with the world has shifted and i think the south is very nice i lived in atlanta for seven years and i know that not just atlanta peachtree city City, so you know there there is a kindness and there's a sort of a general acceptance of gay culture even though there's atlanta's atlanta's got a very big gay gay scene yes and i think that was probably the san francisco the south it is um it is little five points yes whatnot yes I, i i always say this i look like a homophobe <laughs> no. but i'm very open-minded would, oh, no no completely. I, say, I think you look like a bear <laughs> I, I got an offer to do a bear i have a show on travel channel called yes, conquer and of course these uh this bear publication reached out and they were like hey we're big fan me and my partner are big fans we're a small publication we're uh-huh. in san francisco we'd love for you to spread and you know you know how like uh, barack was on the cover of out yeah and you're like oh that's great and then we, in, in, as an entertainer, you're like, it's good press, something I believe in. Okay. Mm-hmm. You know, people will see me as another side of me. Yeah. And I was like, okay, I'm in. They're like, well, we don't have a lot of money. And so you, you got to fly yourself up. And, and it was just, it fell apart. Mm-hmm. But I ended up telling Travel Channel about it. And I go, uh, I was like, yeah, I almost did this bear publication. And I was going to like surprise you guys with it. And their face went white. And they're like, for the record, you cannot do porn. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> and let alone gay porn, you definitely can't do porn. And I was yeah. like, oh, I didn't even thought of that. Well, they they really love a very masculine sort of uh, iconic sort of figure. And then the other guy that they really like from the genre of TV that you guys do is Mike Rowe. They're obsessed with him. So funny. They get very into these hyper-masculine archetypal characters, but then you guys both have like this friendly side too. Yeah. So it's like perfect for bears. Yeah, but they need to put a ball gag in Mike Rowe's mouth because he is extremely politicized. <laughs> <laughs> he, uh, he, I mean, I like what he writes. I like that he writes, you know, but whatever. He's very libertarian. Is he? Is he? I think he's more, is he more conservative or libertarian? I think he's I think, conservative. I think he's sort of, he, he sort of strikes me as, um, 
he's like a, not a social conservative though. He's like a fiscal conservative, but he's very much there for like the working man. It's like he's a working there for class. the working man. Yeah. I don't know. I feel like I feel like this is going to sound shitty. I'm a big fan of Mike Rose. Mm-hmm. I think he's an amazing host. But I feel like he is. He's put branding in front of sometimes. You know. Oh sometimes yeah. You see guys that are like. I'm so blue collar and you're like enough you're not anymore you're yeah. pretty wealthy talk about what it's like first class you know yeah but but what, now what was the when you started you were very I mean you were television development friendly oh just because I was so different and that was a time of uh, the era of um, people buying stand up comedy to do sitcoms so that's like Roseanne Seinfeld uh Tim Allen, these shows were very big. And so when I, that, I, I, start, I started com- com- being comedian like much earlier than that, but my big sort of move as a television performer began with that sort of rift of people really going to buy stand-up into, in order to make sitcoms. So that's where I was very marketable because I was so different. You know, it was another arena for um, people to go in sort of a family sitcom direction. But were you, uh, were you uh, biting your tongue with your politics? At that time, no, no. My, my comedy was still the same. I think that my comedy just became a little bit better over the years. But I always sort of had the same message. I mean, I was never supposed to be there. And so I think that was my... Um, you were never supposed to be in that network development. Well, never supposed to be in comedy. You know, like my... my Face and appearance was so different from anybody else in comedy then. And so that's always like, I feel like in comedy, we're always trying to answer one existential question. Like what, what Seinfeld is a good example. Seinfeld is, do you see this? What? (laughs) Like, am I the only one saying this? Yeah. And then mine is, I know I don't belong here. So all the reasons that are around that um, become comedy. I find it funny. You know, the people I were drawn to as a young comic were you and Janine. Okay. You, you had a joke that just, that I went, that's the way I think. But, but despite the fact that we are, I'm sincerely shocked that we're in the same business sometimes mm-hmm. compared to what the art we put out. Right. Like mine's, I'm, I'll just say mine's, I believe, lowbrow or more lowbrow. But like, <laughs> but uh, mine's more fun. I party, you know, yeah. yours is definitely has a message and has thought behind it. But you, you referred to your mound of pubis oh. and i was like I'm, i was sitting on my parents couch i was just i think i was just out of college and i was like holy shit that's, that's what I, that's the words i've been wanting to use to refer to mine i love it yeah and so but but i feel like i feel like you know the the uphill battle you had to have with i don't know and i, I maybe i'm obsessed with this maybe i maybe i see the the your your um your growth as a comic mm-hmm. so I, f- I feel like sometimes a lot of comics do the same thing they do every mm-hmm. special after every special after oh, yeah. every special yeah and i feel like yours you're you're the one example of someone who's grown every time they do an hour it's not the same type mm-hmm. of thing even yeah. almost well that's good thank you and you have good taste that's good janine is i learned a lot from janine janine is is really oh that's me i think that's oh okay He's. I'll be right back. Sure. Oh, sure. Oh, I'm sorry. No, of course. Do you mind if I talk while you walk? Okay. So I will say this house is absolutely badass. This, uh, the art is fantastic. The um, there's pictures of Margaret when she was a child. There's a picture of Robin. There's like an old Southern God bless our home picture which I'm sure she got in her time in Atlanta. There's a samurai sword. This is like, 
And it's like, this is, uh, I think, maybe a mansion, I think. It's got a huge backyard with a hot tub. Her publicist just showed. Okay. I want to hear by myself. I might as well let you know this episode is brought to you by Squarespace. The simplest way for anyone to create a beautiful landing page, website, or online store. The easy-use tools and templates, Squarespace helps you capture every detail in a way that drives you. Because it's worth the effort. It's worth the sharing with the world. Go to squarespace.com, enter the off-code BERTCAST at checkout, and get 10% off your first purchase. Here comes Margaret. I feel like I should get a publicist. But why? What am I going to fucking publicize? A house like this is where you end up one of this is the house that you want to live in in LA. You know? Oh, yes. You know? Is this your publicist? Yes. Hi, how you doing? Good. That's okay. No, don't worry about it. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. We haven't talked about anything bad. Um, <laughs> All good. I'm not that kind of interviewer, by the way. <laughs> So what's, but I think, and maybe I'm obsessed with it. And sometimes I think people put things on comics Mm -hmm. that maybe weren't in our head, Mm -hmm. but I feel like there was this moment where I went, where I went, uh, wait, Margaret Cho went to like digital, what was it? What was it called? Digital Fortress. Do you remember? There was like a porn site that like in San Francisco. Yeah. Kink.com. Kink.com. Yeah. And it was like they had that big fortress. You'd go to the, and I was like, and I was visiting that site on a regular basis. Yeah. And then I read somewhere that you had gone there and I was like, oh shit, Margaret Cho parties. Like, and then all of a sudden you blossomed for me even more than ever because you Uh became someone, no, I mean, but you became someone who was extremely honest. Mm -hmm. We talked about sexual assault. Mm -hmm. You talked about stuff like that. And I was like, Oh, this is not. This is not her. Just her mom. Mm-hmm. Do, you know what I mean? Oh yeah, yeah. And so, what was it? And maybe I'm just putting too much on this because I just did an hour and I'm trying to figure out what the next direction is. But right. did you feel? Did something happen? <laughs> no, no. I had been talk like I had been talking about different subjects, like coming into talking about sexual assault. I've been talking about that for years, but for some reason, you could never get an audience to laugh at it because there's a need for comedians for you to be heroic. You know, that there, there's the eternal hero. The comic always has, always has to be here. Whether you're the underdog hero or whatever, you have to be heroic. And when you talk about rape and sexual molestation, suddenly it's too much that you can't, you can't be hero necessarily in that situation. And so it upsets audiences or it triggers something. But now I think there's so much conversation around all that stuff. I mean, we, you know, we're living in a time like every other day, there's some kind of issue, whether it's Dennis Hastert or Cosby or Dennis Hastert. He was the former speaker of the house and he was, um, molesting boys and he had he had allocated funds illegally um to pay off these now grown men for many many years and so this is this is a terrible terrible outrage and this is the speaker of the house you know this is very very uh, sort of a, a big topic i feel like after um sandusky and all of that that stuff that happened in um in in a sense, the the world shifted and said we need to talk about this more because 
we need to fix it or find a way to stop it. And so I had been putting it in my act over time, but it's an it's a eternal argument with my family. So they, they're, they're very invested in silence and, and not talking about these issues. And so we, we've been in a fight about this for 30 years. And so it's, it's something that goes beyond my comedy. But I, I've decided to like actually like really push it and work on it. And now it's starting to make it... Um, the, the world has shifted to make it sort of okay to talk about. Now, when you feel pushback, when you talk about stuff like that, what, what, what's the stereotype that you see the pushback from? Is it? Um, you can't talk about rape on Easter. <laughs> Whoa, that's, a, that's a very specific pushback. <laughs> you can't talk about rape on Easter. Wait, that's no. my favorite. Wait, heckle. where the fuck did you hear that? I was at um, a comedy club uh, and, <laughs> and they were really mad that I was, that it was like, you know, not going well, and then I, you know, when it doesn't, sometimes when it doesn't go well, I really like to, I'm going to, I know you don't like me, well, I'm going to make you hate me, because yeah. there's just no, it's like, I have to have an extreme reaction. Yeah, no, 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 oh, I've been there where I go, I got into this, th- no, no, keep, I'm sorry, keep going, keep going, no, but I know that feeling. Yeah, but this woman stood up and screamed, you can't talk about rape on Easter, which is my favorite. Was that this Easter? Yes, it was just the season. Oh, shut up. That's like fresh. Yeah. Oh, so, shut up. So It's really funny. <laughs> what? That's so crazy. So what were they like what were they expecting? Well, I don't know exactly, but I think sometimes and also there's a difference between like when you do clubs and when you do like a a big show at a theater mm-hmm. where I do both and sometimes at clubs you get audiences that don't know what they're coming to see. You know, there's like, "Oh, let's go to the comedy club" because they, you know, they just want to go out. Yeah. And so they're not um necessarily familiar with the artist or, you know, whatever. And so it just it it just becomes a thing where you, you you're sort of needing to introduce yourself a little bit. Every time you go on stage, you sort of need to introduce yourself a little bit. Yeah. But then um, they were just in shock about it and, and like very upset. Some people don't feel like uh, some people will go to comedy clubs and don't realize that the best jokes for us are the ones that I, I'm, I'll speak only for myself. But the ones that where you I, I want to talk about subjects sometimes that I that they don't think they'll laugh at. Mm-hmm. And then they go, well, shit, I just found the humor in that. Yeah. Like, yeah. but I think also in that same thing, it's like, well, <laughs> what bothers me about that is I'm assuming, uh, I'm assuming they would have loved a well-crafted, like, rape joke from a man. Right. Right. No, are there, are there any well-crafted? The only... There, there's a bunch. Really? <laughs> like, I, like, I, we're very different. We've, di- I, look, I have the same sensibility as you, but I'm also on the other side of the fence also. Mm-hmm. Daniel Tosh... Daniel Tosh told one of the best rape jokes I've ever heard. Mm-hmm. And like, and like, I look, I he, I, I don't, I don't even want to do it because it, it would never do it justice, right? Because then people would take it out of content. Yeah, and it wasn't the rape thing that he got into, but like Sarah yeah. did a bunch. Oh, um, Sarah's great. Yeah, Sarah's amazing. You know, and I and I would venture to say that I, as an audience member, when you brought up rape, I'd almost be like, I can't wait to hear her viewpoint. Yeah. So yeah. I don't find, I, I don't get. I don't get offended at, mm-hmm. at all. I'm just mm-hmm. not, that's not my, that's not my personality. Um, but I would, I would be blown away that someone would not hear that out of your mouth and go, I can't wait to yeah. hear this perspective as opposed to Tosh, mm-hmm. who I love to death or that would get a standing ovation. Mm-hmm. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. It's weird though. Like you get, you go into these things when you go into any sort of arena where, where people have very firmly held beliefs like, okay, we have to have silence and shame around rape. And then you can't talk about rape on Easter makes me just go, well, Jesus is a rape baby. God didn't ask consent. 
There was no consent in that argument. And <laughs> Easter. Did you say this on stage? Yes. Oh, I the real fucking love people you. very upset. Even oh, I more upset. <laughs> more upset. And then you go, oh, uh, well, why do you celebrate Easter when the rape baby zombie clawed his way out of the coffin and. <laughs> <laughs> confronted everybody oh. it's like the, the and then people get like so angry you can't like question these firmly held beliefs about religion yeah. about rape about silence and about sort of dignity that we're supposed to give to what i consider um a fiction you know i i come from a very religious background yeah. and i actually was a bible studies teacher so i really? I, I i've gone through many years of Going, why are we taught this? Why are children taught this? And when really it's such a fiction, you know, it's really, there, I think there is um, the spirit of good in people and there is maybe some sort of idea of an overriding spirituality or oneness that we have, but I don't think it, it's necessarily out of the Bible. Yeah. What do you, what, what, I mean, you feel like, I feel like your house is a shrine to spirituality in a weird way. Yeah. Yeah. What is, what, where do you sit? I have a lot of different, um, spiritual beliefs there was a time where i was really interested in santeria because it's a beautiful religion because it's basically an yoruban religion an african religion brought over and disguised as christianity in order to fool um the slave owners you know so it's it's a way to keep your traditional beliefs but use catholic iconography so that your slave masters will assume that you've converted. And I think that's a really beautiful thing. And then my family is very Buddhist and ancestor worshiping, but also very um, Christian too. So they have their own sort of form of whatever that is, that form of pretend conversion. Yeah. So there's, there's a lot of different things that I, I sort of, I do, you know, where, where, where they're from all of the different traditions. Is your mom open-minded? Yes, in a way. I mean, she's definitely like, I see, I see the ghost because my, my family, like they're really Christian. But um, in 1978, uh, my grandparents had to have their 50th wedding anniversary in San Francisco. And we had like couldn't find a venue. And then my mom was watching TV and the Jonestown tragedy. It just happened, you know, where 900 something people died in Jonestown. But that meant that the People's Temple in San Francisco was vacant. So she was like, I have an idea. So then we rented out the People's Temple and... We, it was a very, it was, it was a really bad party, but um, because my mom kept seeing ghosts that oh. were pissed that yeah. we had like come into this place where they, they had been very betrayed and then taken to Guyana and, and they had all come back to the site. She said they were all there. They, they were really shit. angry, angry at her for having a party, serving food that they couldn't eat and, and really like, <laughs> you know, all this stuff. Yeah. But yeah. it was a very intense thing because she was so identified as a Christian, but she still saw like sort of, sort of ghostly things. She still believed in ancestor worship, which I do now to my own, um, icons like i i go to the buddhist temple and i burn um things for joan rivers like i went to hong kong and i i, I bought her a little uh a yorkie dog like a um a paper dog yeah. and some paper jewelry and and some pastries and i burned them in the altar to her and they burned up really quickly so it made me think oh she she wanted it so yeah. it's nice who were, was she? She was she one of your heroes early in comedy. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Who the main. Who, really. The main. Well, when I saw her, I realized, like, I saw her on TV when I was really young, and oh, I Carson? realized, oh, no, and Carson, Carson, and she hosted SNL. Remember when they used to have like comics used to do sets on SNL? So I she do. she did one. Andy Kaufman did one. Um, 
uh, Steve Martin very famously did many. Yeah. Um, so you would see comics there um, just doing comedy. And so she was one of the people that made me think, I, I have to do this. So, yeah. but she was major and Bill Hicks, so major. Did you get prior. to, I mean, I don't, I don't know how old you are. I'm assuming you're older than me, but I'm, I'm 47. 40, I'm 43. Okay. I should have done a little more research. I just, I feel like if I do research and I ask questions on the internet, as opposed to the things mm-hmm. that I'm interested in, I'm sorry. Yeah, no, it's but, okay. Um, so wait, did you get to, did you get to see him work live? All the time. I used to Sh- open wait, for Hicks. fucking phones. I, I used to open for Hicks and then he had a special affection for me because I was, um, dating as my first boyfriend was um one of the big houston guys and so all the houston comics really love um tishan shannon oh he's yeah. a writer on snl and- i just heard um i just heard janine talk about tishan oh yes yeah. yes and i knew tishan did he have a brother yeah charlie who died yeah charlie who passed away okay yeah I, did they were out of new york and they were writing for someone when he passed um they my, i don't know who they who he was writing. He had written a feature, and that they they were writing together. Yeah, but yeah, he's gone about fifteen years. Now I think or when something. I was a young comic in New York, I met Tishon mm-hmm. and his and maybe his brother. But I only know that because I I remember that his brother passed. And I don't know how I'd know yeah. that if I didn't. Yeah, live in that. But the, so you, the yeah, the Houston comics all look to Bill Hicks as like their father. So the, you know, I Tishon and I were living together, and Bill would call up. You know, saying, oh, you know, like, he's like, hey, is your man around? <laughs> like, yeah. very, very, um, it was it was so, uh, I, I get so giggly and funny. And he, he uh, was so great. Like, he was so um, magnanimous to all these comics. You know, they loved him so much. So he had a little special thing for me because I was like one of the little girls around there. And so I opened for him a bunch. And I saw him in all sorts of different capacities. You know, people sometimes really were angry at the subjects that he broached and, and really defensive. And um, I remember not too long before he passed away, there was, um, he had done a set and it was a, it was a Republican fundraiser that he had been accidentally booked at and he walked like 200 people and it was this big, big story, you know, back then it was such a horror for that to happen, but he was just a genius and, and such a kind man too. I read the book about him. I, I I discovered him probably probably early in my career, but later than I discovered guys on TV that I liked. Yeah, like I don't know. I, just, I don't know why, but the people I was drawn to on TV were not the style of comedy that I was going to be doing. Not that I don't do that, or not to put down my own stand up, but but. But who did you like? You and Janine. Uh, yes. And I met Janine. It did not go over well. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. But but uh, but you know, in, in all fairness, I was a young comic. And still trying to figure out what I was doing on stage. I talked about my dick a lot. But, uh, but you know, Atel was someone I discovered Oh, I love Dave. Like, I discovered him when I moved to New York. I um, love Demetri him. Martin. And it was like, have you seen Dave Attell? And I was like, no. And he's like, that's who you're going to love. Aww. And we went back and holy, to this day, I mean, I don't fawn too much because I think it makes Atel uncomfortable. Oh, he blew me. Like, he was the guy that, like, I sat in the back of the cellar and I was like, I was like, I mean, I almost want to say I figured out how to write jokes listening to him. Yeah. I changed my style, obviously, so I don't mm. do that. But, like, I mean, one of my big jokes that I had at the time was, you know what cops hate? When you touch their faces. Like, <laughs> it was just Patrice. I was a big fan of Patrice. I oh, remember. I love Patrice. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, see, I, I would great. assume you and Patrice would butt, would have butt heads. No, I loved him. Or he would be horrible to you. No. No, he um, he's actually in Bonnie's 
documentary. Um, you know, Bonnie McFarlane has a documentary. I think it's called Why Aren't Women Funny? Yeah, it's great. Or Women Aren't Funny. It's great. And Patrice says, Margaret Joe's a funny bitch. And I was like, oh, I love him. It was weird getting a stamp of approval from him no, in a I weird way because he was so critically honest about people. Yeah. That if you said you're honest, if you said you were funny, you meant you were funny. Yeah, it made me feel really good. But I was always a real big fan of his stand-up comedy. I like it because it came him. from a different place. Mm-hmm. Like, it, you didn't expect it. Yeah. It's one of the things I, I love about your stand-up is that, I mean, like, I was in I was in uh, Montreal whenever you were there two years ago, a year ago. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it was last year. Yeah, last year. And uh, I, do, I don't do stand-up with a shirt on. I haven't done it with a shirt on in like five <laughs> years. And someone came up to me, and they're like, just a record, you'll never beat Margaret Jo. And I was like, why? She, they go, she just did her set with her shirt off the entire time. And I was like... <laughs> Shut the fuck up. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh, I just respect that freedom. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, why not? You know, it's it's so like we all have a body and it's funny to just sort of play with that and play with people's like uncomfortability about that. You know, Tig does that too. Well, yeah, but I, she doesn't have breasts anymore, yes. right? So that's just a sort little of more impressive. To show off this thing that people are just really don't expect. So that's really beautiful. Well, I'm really hoping we'll do a topless comedy tour, me, you, and Tig. That's good. The- <laughs> So wait, when was, um, at what point after being, and you don't have to answer this, and if you want this taken out, I will totally take it out. But at what point after dealing with sexual assault, do you then, sounds silly, but as someone I have no experience with it, almost reclaim your sexuality in such a strong way? Well, you try to do, you know, you figure it out. It takes a while though. Like you go through lots of phases and I think for me, healing has, has taken a long time because I, I just then you know like when you're young then you get into weird situations when you don't claim yourself back from abuse you continue to get abused and then you know I grew up in this era where we didn't have words for date rape we didn't know what that was and so we didn't codify it and so we didn't know it was happening when it was happening mm-hmm. and so I experienced a lot of a lot of that you know I think there was this expectation um in the 80s, like if the 80s, early 90s, whatever, that if you went out with somebody, you, you had to do it. Like there was this thing where you had to sort of complete the action or the arc of the date. And I sort of did that for a long time, feeling really bad about the consequences. And then, then you realize, oh, okay, I've got to reclaim this now. And, and um, so I, I went through all this through sort of different kinds of therapy and different kinds of um, learning more about sexuality. And that, I think that helped. Yeah. Was it was uh, when did you realize you were bisexual? I actually thought I was gay initially, and then I started to realize also that it was more than that. Like I, I was very much um, thinking, okay, now I figured it out. I'm a lesbian. That's why it's I, I feel different. But then it it's sort of like oh, but I still like guys. So I don't know where that. Then it becomes very expansive, and I didn't have any sort of people to look to about bisexuality. There was no sort of uh, evidence of any bisexual comics or (laughs) like that I could sort of go, oh, I could like sort of form my life after that. I didn't really know. Yeah, bisexuality is such an interesting thing. I think everyone will believe, oh, that's totally, women are bisexual, Mm -hmm. but no man believes that men are bisexual whatsoever. But they are, they are. I'm sure they are. I just, I, 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 I feel like, I feel like you're, I've always felt like you're either born one thing or the other. Mm-hmm. I think there's variances of that. I know that. I know that, but I don't. I, don't, I never really. Maybe, maybe that's just part of culture. Is that no one ha- ever has felt comfortable enough to sit on any of my friends to be like, "Hey, bro, just so you know, mm-hmm. I definitely have kissed dudes." 
Yeah. Like maybe that's part of it. Yeah. But no. there, there's yeah, the secrecy and this need to sort of be, um, have allegiance to one one arena like you have to be this it's it's like sort of the completion of your identity you don't want to have to keep working on it which bisexuality i think maybe sort of refers to this idea that there's so much more that we need to know but now as i get older i'm going to another direction and realizing i might be asexual (laughs) you and my wife (laughs) yeah like you get to a thing where like oh i thought it was both maybe it's nothing so that's an acceptable identity and a newer one like that's part of like we're thinking about um lgbt and then expanding it to q and a is is um or intersect you know q a i you know these these different aspects to what we originally thought and now there's more so maybe we're asexual i really don't even know what QAI is questioning asexual intersex What's intersex? Intersex is when you are, um, I think it's when you're born with both or it's uh, feeling gender fluid. So you, you sort of define within your own spectrum. So it's, um, I think that's the way, but it's, it's, it's also a way of being born to where you feel in the middle or you feel both or you, you know, it's, it's, it's people are defined it their own ways. Okay. Do you, do you. Do you get excited when you hear about new terms or new steps out into the frontier of acceptance? Yeah, because it's it's really young people deciding for themselves like, okay, well, this doesn't fit me. I'm going to create another identity. And I think that's really positive. It means we're growing as a society for uh, allowing people to define themselves. But where we grow, we also shrink too. like there's the HP2 stuff in North Carolina. And you know know what I just I don't know anything about that. But I just saw that someone decided not to do a show there because of whatever's going on. Yeah, huge. It's about about transgenders not being able to use whatever restroom they'd like to use. Yeah, that they identify with, you know, and that 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 now there's there's this idea that somehow transgendered people are a danger to society, but really that's not, they're not. I mean, that's, it's just a, a, a made up thing that is driving a homophobia and driving hatred. And, and unfortunately the victims are the transgendered community, which is so terrible. And they're not, they're not, uh, you know, a group that society needs to protect themselves from. They need to be protected by society. So this is a very, this is a real outrage happening. That's why all these people are canceling their shows in North Carolina and also Mississippi. And it's very, it's a big, big, big problem. Wow. Now, what do you, uh, now, adversely, how do you feel like, and I'm sure you must be aware that there are people like Jerry Seinfeld who's, who you you open for, right? Yeah, yeah. You open for Jerry um, in, in, that go this political correctness is too much he's but he you know he's he and i are tight and he is the best 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 guy and i think it's just um he's right too that there is a kind of sense of like why are we afraid of these words why are we and it's like you can't get away with anything now because everything is policed everybody has a phone and every day there's another outrage and another twitter fight or whatever and it's just a ridiculous kind of we're policing ourselves and i think social media almost takes um the presence of the catholic church in the 1500s you know there's like they're still burning witches there's still this overriding moral arbiter that that we have to sort of behave a certain way or else we'll be punished and it's a very um public shaming kind of society now and i think that's what's um 
what he's referring to, and that, that it sort of gets broken between political correctness, but it's actually much broader of an issue. It's, it's more that you can't really say anything without being questioned about your feelings and your identity. That's why I think comedy is harder, but then it's also not if you are these different things that represent political correctness, which is, uh, you know, I'm a woman of color, I'm, I'm queer, and so political progressive, there's all these things that make me sort of the quote-unquote expert of political correctness. Or, or safe. Yeah, that somehow sounds, safe. Yes, yeah, so like, like I'm always nervous. I got to a place where I just said, well, I don't, I'm not going to talk about anything, anything brand new that's coming up, like cisgendered I heard about. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I was like, I was like, you know what, I'm, I almost, this is, and I feel like this is the worst part about society these days. I must just ignore it and go. I don't. I don't even know what it is. Yeah. I don't want that in my brain. Right. God forbid. I'm doing radio and I'm drunk and I'm flying around and I throw a joke out mm-hmm. that I don't mean. Yeah. So I just shut it down, which is even worse, I think, than asking. Right. It's self censorship, which you don't want in art. Yeah. But cisgender, you can talk about cisgender. I don't because, even know what that is. Really. Because, well, you're cisgender. Oh, I'm cisgender. Yeah. Cisgender means you're born into your gender that you feel deeply held to that you feel feel identified as so cisgender is being from the point of privilege so you can talk about cisgender it's like being white you can talk about being white as much as you can't talk about being white on stage you can't (laughs) no you can't go it's pretty nice (laughs) but that's funny sucks but yeah that's funny though yeah no i mean i've i've definitely made jokes about being white lightly but you couldn't Mm. really take it a point of view I made. I was. I was making a joke about catcalling mm-hmm. this weekend, and uh, and you know you take big swings sometimes to see where the audience lands. Yeah. My premise is that America hates its poor people. That's who's. That's, that's who's catcalling. Yeah. That's. It's yeah. poor people with low self esteem. Mm-hmm. They're throwing hail mary pussy passes, mm-hmm. and that's and they're catcalling, and it, it's working clearly. Mm-hmm. Clearly, it works because there are other poor women who are with low self esteem who are accepting these catcalls, mm-hmm. or they wouldn't be catcalling. Right. But. As I start saying this, I realize, like, I, I feel like I'm being, I'm punching down. I'm, pu- I'm not, I'm not making fun of poor people, but I'm letting everyone in the audience know that they hate poor people. And then I'm like, wait, what the fuck? Do-? And then I say, and th- this is the sad part of where I think, our, of where our comedy ends up having to, where you get to go through the door and I have to stop, mm-hmm. is I don't have a dog in the fight. Mm-hmm. And then I lose it. Why do I care? Mm-hmm. I, I literally go, Bert, is it worth it? Mm-hmm. Is it worth it to be ostracized as in as 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 someone who is uh, then a predator because mm-hmm. I agree with whatever or whatever I say mm-hmm. can be taken out of context so I end up stopping at the door. Right. That's unfortunate because you you should be able to have the freedom to explore these things as an artist. You have good intentions. Right. So those intentions shouldn't be uh, discounted. But, yeah, there is a kind of a social paranoia that we will say something that will be taken out of context and then all over the Internet. And then you have to sort of defend yourself or apologize or whatever that is. And to me, that is... um, it's detrimental to art, even though it serves a function in that it sort of says, well, we have to protect this element of society or whatever, but you're um, censoring art. So that that's where it's, it, I think it becomes um, difficult. It's self-censorship to an extent. I mean, mm-hmm. no one's censoring me. I can say whatever I want. Right, but it's self-censorship, but it's so deep in you now. Like it's, it's a fear that's um, not allowing you to grow as an artist, yeah. which is in all of us. We all have that fear now and that that i wish that we could somehow lift that or or that or as a comic you could put in 
uh, tied some of your your money to charities and go now let me talk about whatever I want because mm-hmm. you realize I'm a good person right because that's I think that's where people get lost is they think like that that woman who said you can't talk about rape on Easter <laughs> she I don't think she understands I don't think she, I don't think she should be allowed to go to comedy clubs <laughs> like I really honestly yeah they should take someone like that. And literally pull her to the side and stamp her. Yeah. And be like, you're not allowed in comedy clubs. You I don't know. get the purpose. Right. What was the, well, how do you write? I, I hate to, I hate to change subjects like that, but now I'm like, like, how do you write? Do you find stuff that make you, keep you up at night? Or do you sit down and with a pen and paper and you're like. Oh, I, I don't sit down and write everything out. There's no, none of that. I mean, I do, what I do is I, sometimes I have like a subject and then I need to talk about, and then I have a, what I need to get out. And then I just go on stage with it, and I know that the adrenaline is going to force me into a punchline. Uh, like I do the same fucking thing. Isn't that great? I love it. It's that's a, the best way to write. That's how Bill Bill Hicks did it. Oh, you just made my fucking day. Yeah. The adrenaline will force me if I go up with a premise. The adre- and and even if it's an angry premise, mm-hmm. the adrenaline will force me to find something funny in it. Yeah, you have to because you you are at a loss. You need that one thing and then that that'll push you into the right direction. It'll open up another part of your brain to do that. So it, it's, it's auto it's auto complete. But do you sit and go like listen to NPR, watch the news and then something kind of fires you up and you're laying in bed and you're chewing it over and over in yeah, your head? Yeah, sometimes, but then I always forget it. <laughs> I'm asleep. So I do sometimes write things down, but in general, it's about figuring out what it is on stage. I like to do that. So then things come out that I don't even expect. Yeah. So that's, and then I perform so often. How, so, how, how much are you on the road these days? Um, I, every week. I mean, really? so, you know, every week for me is like Wednesday through Sunday. And then sometimes it's clubs, sometimes it's one nighter, sometimes it's theaters, whatever it is. But it's, it's, it's every, I try to do it once so my work week is like yeah Wednesday Sunday and then the rest of the time is off but you know you just uh, I you can't, I can't like take long time off because I get, forget how to do it and yeah. forget what I did. I find that happening to me more and more. I used to be able to take a month off and come back and be right there. Yeah. And now I take a week off and I'm like, Ooh, what was I talking about last? Two weeks ago. Yeah, it's confusing. And then you have to do your TV show too, so it's like you have a different mindset you know, towards each. And then like, so I think it's easier to come back into doing TV because you have a lot of people helping. But then with stand up, it's like, I'm the only one. Rogan and I, Rogan, by the way, said, hi. I, I love him. To him. He loves you. He literally said, tell her I'm mean to call her. I want to hang out. Yeah, I do. I do love him he so much. He loves you. I called my chickens were laying double eggs and I didn't know if they were safe to eat. So I called him and he was like, yeah, you can eat them. Oh yeah. You just yeah. horrible your for cholesterol. You have chickens? <laughs> I have three chickens, yeah. Oh, cute. Yeah, yeah. Um oh shit, what was I? Oh, do you travel with like a like a a team? I have an opener. Who? And Selene Luna. She is great. She's really funny. She's a little person and she um does a lot of comedy about that. And we also do other projects together, so yeah. it's nice to uh work with her. And then um my boyfriend who plays guitar with me. So he's like Is a, that the dude I met? Uh, yes. Oh, yeah. nice, Andy. So he's where's he's he from? There. He's um, from San Francisco. No, not growing up. So uh, no, no, no. But we we up? grew up parallel to each other. But uh, he's sort of more in the rock and roll scene, and then I was in comedy, so yeah, we never yeah, actually yeah. met there. But uh, we met through Linda Perry, actually, who's the uh, amazing singer of Four Non Blondes and oh, um, oh, yeah, yeah, super okay. singer singer songwriter does a lot of music like for Pink and Christina Aguilera and. All these different people, but she's a, a good friend of ours. Have you heard of what's her name? I just discovered her, Australian Barnett. 
Oh yes, she's wonderful, Courtney. Holy Courtney Barnett. Yeah, just she's found wonderful. Her. Listener on the whole flight in. I, yeah. I know that I heard you on uh, Strombo. Is that his name? I love Strombo. Yeah, and I was like, you named a few bands that I listened to, and I was like, oh shit. Yeah. Like I love uh, what you've been. You've done a bunch of music too. Yes. Yes. As well. Yes. And you have a beautiful singing voice. Oh, thank you. Thank um, you. It's interesting. You never combine the two, huh? I do. I, now it shows I, I will do a couple of songs at the end. It's a little weird, though. You know, you think, oh, it's got to have a comedic element, but I don't really do like parody songs or comedy songs necessarily. Yeah. So it's a different thing. Um, but it's a, good, it's a good way to, I think, close a show and um, nice for the audience. But it's a se- separate thing. I always think, oh, should I have a separate identity for that? Like, like um Donald Glover, he, he he's childish Gambino. So I was thinking of him last night, oddly yeah, enough. He does the both yeah. things, but he has the different identities. But I don't I don't know. I can't think that much. Yeah. <laughs> where do you see where do you see this next hour taking you? Are you doing an extra another hour? Yeah, yeah. I'm assuming yeah, you, constant, you got one. Yeah, yeah. Constantly. Yeah. Where um, are you I have to well, I still have to finish out the tour for this last one, so I have to do um So wait, wait work that backwards. So you do your hour, then you tour that hour? Yeah, basically. Really? I mean, it, sometimes it goes the other way. Yeah, yeah. That's the way I've been so, working it is I do the hour, then I release it, and then I'm done with it. Yeah. So, but this one is sort of, it's, I don't know, it's always just kind of weird. So I did a special last year, and then I've been touring it. So it's just the sort of backwards. But then it ends up always changing because you can never do the same thing yeah. twice. So, like, it's always shifting. So I did this all over America, and then I have to do some more dates here. But then I have to go to, um, to finish out, I have to go back to Asia and then Australia. So I did Europe and England and Asia and then now I have to go back and finish everything else. You tour Asia? Yeah, yeah. That's a trip. Where that's do you trip. tour in Asia? Um, Hong Kong, Singapore, Seoul. And uh, so hopefully I'll go this time to Manila, back to Seoul. I did SNL in Seoul. They have a Korean SNL. Really? Which is just the same. It's like the exact same, but they do like Korean sketches. And I did do stand-up, and it was so scary because I did... Stand, a little stand-up in Korean, which was really hard. Really? Yeah, I was so scared. <laughs> Wait, what? Like, that's, that's insane. I can't imagine translating my yeah. act. And they, they, I worked with them a long time in translating and also uh, kind of like checking references and stuff. They didn't understand some things and it was really hard, but they really wanted it to work and, and I wanted it to work. So it was, but it was tough. It's yeah. like so scary to do that. Yeah, well, that's got to be scary too. Like, how how far do you go? How like do you find yourself self editing when you're performing in Seoul? Because I, I, by the way, I don't know what I'm saying, so if it comes off offensive, please stop me. <laughs> but like, I know that um, that with homosexuality, Asian cultures aren't usually the no, coolest. No, and in, in Seoul, it's very homophobic, and it's very like if they have like they they have a gay pride, and um, it's only pe- one block. <laughs> well, it's very small. Oh, and, seriously, and people are not allowed to take photographs. Because they don't want to be recognized because the people can't be out at work or to their families. It's really a terrible environment, you know. And um, it's much better in like Hong Kong, which has a a very, very big uh, like gay population. But also that it's still against the law there, too. So there's like these laws, like those weird laws, those arcane laws. Like in Texas, there's a weird arcane law that Ted Cruz wants to implement that you can't have a dildo you can't have a vibrator in texas like you can't have anything that stimulates the genitals um (laughs) it's such a weird but now ted cruz is using that like he wants to bring that law back into like really enforce it and i'm like you can't 
What? No. I wish I could give you my social conscience for one day, just like on a on a on a vacation day for you. It's like I literally I get so overwhelmed. I just go. I don't give a shit. Mm-hmm. I can't give a shit about this. Yeah. Like the whatever that is going on with the election, I'm like I'm not even gonna fucking vote. Mm-hmm. Like, I just don't care. Mm-hmm. But uh, that's insane. There's a sex toy that they have for men that I've wanted for so long, and I saw it one time, and I can't find it now. What is it? It. Lo- I, I've gone to every sex store every time looking for the same one. It looks like a stingray is hugging your dick. Like it's and it vibrates. Oh, oh, so it's kind of, it may be like a okay, it's like a almost like a flashlight or like a it literally looks like a stingray, like a baby stingray is hugging your dick. Like okay. with its top of the wings on the top. And so oh, it slides okay. over you. Okay. And I okay. guess I don't all I know is that I saw it one time and I was like, I've never seen anything like it. I'm right. totally into it, trying it. That's great. Like, yeah, but I can't find it anywhere. I don't, and it's, it's. I'll do some research because <laughs> I used to be on the board of Good Vibrations. What's so Good Vibrations? Good Vibrations is the largest online sex toy retailer for women. And so I served on the board there for many years. And I have some background in um, BDSM. I worked at a, a lesbian BDSM collective in the 80s and the 90s. And that's why I'm close to a lot of the people at kink.com. It's sort of my history. Really? So um, I know a lot about that world. I know a lot of um, about, you know, about sex work and a lot about sex toys in particular. So that's something that I, I can't think. It's like a cannoli almost. But <laughs> that's it. It's you, better than a stingray hugging your dick. It's you cannoli. Pro- you provide cannoli. the cream. I'm the. I'm both creams. <laughs> yeah. Wait. So wait. You were, you were into the. I did a. I did a segment for BDSM for okay. one of my TV shows mm-hmm. with a woman named Mrs. Isabella down in downtown. Oh, I'm having dinner with her in a couple of weeks. You are not. Yeah, she's coming. We're doing. I'm doing the Irvine Improv, and she's coming with a guy that I really like, Jason Ellis, who's a wonderful. Are you shitting me? No, no. Are you... Okay, so like probably 11... No, probably, I don't know. I was probably 28. Maybe like 15 years ago. Mm-hmm. I did a straight up... Like this was back when when television was a little bit in the Wild West, like with reality television. And they I had a show called Hurt Burt where I took dangerous jobs. Uh-huh. One day I was a dominatrix camp. Oh. And I sat with her totally nude. I mean, the, the thing that the, when... You, I knew it wasn't television is when they get me naked, I'm blindfolded, I'm strapped into the stirrups, I'm tied up. I, I, they take the blindfold off. She's in a full leather outfit with a zipper on her crotch. Her assistant it was gorgeous. I mean, just gorgeous. They're both in rubber gloves, and I hear her yell, we got a blood cock. And I was like, uh. And there's a whole film crew shot the whole thing. They tortured wow. me for like five hours. Wow. No, I did. And she gave me a video and said, um, you know, because I told her something that I, like stuff I liked, and she said, "Check this out." And it was like shit I had never thought of. And mm-hmm. this is before the internet was the way it right, is, right? Right. And it literally peaked me, and I was like, "Holy God!" Like it opened up my eyes to a bunch of shit. Now yeah. my wife and I aren't like that, mm-hmm. and I don't really explore that in my own personal life. Mm-hmm. But I find that BDSM culture fascinating. It's beautiful. It's yeah. very important. I think it's very healing. It's like one of the few sort of very. Um, Things where spirituality and sexuality combine and connect, and you get to a very deep place. And she's a master. I mean, she's really brilliant. I think she really probably deserves something like a Nobel Peace Prize or something that's this avenue where she is so good. Like a MacArthur Grant. Something. Yeah. Like like that, because she really is a genius. And um, I'm always very impressed by 
what she comes up with and what she can do. And she's just so beautiful. And she's gorgeous. She's really smart. From the South. Yes. I had her on my podcast. Yes. My wife and her connected pretty quickly. Yeah, she's cool. Yeah, she's really cool. And Jason's, I love Jason. I love him. Yeah, well, I, I would imagine you guys would click immediately. Yeah, we have a good time. Yeah? We have a good time. So he had a session with her. And so I wanted to bring them back together and have dinner and, and hang out with his girlfriend and her partner. And so we're all going to go do that in a couple of weeks. Now, do you mess around with that at all anymore? No, no. That's a, a, certainly a part of my life that uh, I don't really revisit. I think just also because I, I don't, never, I don't know, like I, I never sort of feel the urge to. Like it's something that is part of my younger years, but it's not something that's sort of in my self and in my sexuality anymore. It sort of fades. It's a, I think that's a sort of a, um, I don't know, some, something that's just very ele- sort of elemental but also true to me but also i've sort of out, outgrown it in a way maybe i'll return to it when i get older what does you don't have to answer this but like what turns you on like what um i think what well, what i like about bdsm is that there is somebody in charge and somebody that can be like totally released so i'm sort of a switch in that way so i'm both yeah and then i like to um see what is somebody's trigger you know, whatever that is, what, 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 what is it that sort of gets to them in a very um, intense way? And so that's very personal and very deep to go into. And um, I like the aesthetics of bondage. I don't like how it feels. <laughs> it's too itchy. I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. You didn't, you didn't like being tied up? No. I, I get cla- Nowadays, I get claustrophobic. Yeah. Not, not, but I haven't been tied up in a very long time. But, yeah. but it, I, I look at some of the videos now, and I'm like, oh, I couldn't do that. And, and to an extent, I have panic attacks watching, and I'm like, eh, eh. That yeah. would drive me nuts. It's claustrophobic. Yeah. Um, I don't like blindfolds because just they're not made for Asian people. Because my eyeball sits on top of my skull as opposed to recessed in my skull. So <laughs> blindfold presses on my eyeball. This is the thing with Asian people can never find sunglasses or glasses or blindfolds it's weird you have to have like this it's just that my bone structure doesn't allow it it's so crazy i never knew that yeah yeah it's very hard it's very weird really mm-hmm. that's insane yeah i i uh i i don't the, i find that the weirdest things these days like uh down blousing was sexy what's down blouse oh down blousing it's like i just i just feel like i broke my governor from being on the road so long and then down blousing is it's the weirdest videos. It's not even like it's it's just like a I guess a porn star or a hired actress, just uh, cleaning the house in like a loose fitting shirt. Oh, that's so sweet. Yeah, it's, and it's, in a weird way, it's the my wife pointed out that whatever I was watching was odd because it wasn't stuff that I actually did in my own life. Mm-hmm. She's like, it's so odd. It's a disconnect. It's like right. you're fantasizing about something that you'd never do. Right. But when you do it, you're you're I'm very submissive in whatever anything I do. I'm a, I'm submissive through and through. Mm-hmm. But um and then I and then she was and then I was like looking for something real. I found quicksand porn and I was like that's odd. And then I've and then it's I, a land of the law. <laughs> well, you know what's so funny is is quicksand porn connects with whatever childhood sexuality you had of mm-hmm. like superheroes running away and getting right. caught in quicksand and tied up and that was the first sexuality mm-hmm. that was introduced to me through television. Right. And so that was like, oh, okay. Mm-hmm. But then down blessing and I was like, oh, that's so sexy. It's sexy and it's that's actually very innocent too. You know, it's it's almost like the the awakening of sexual feelings of seeing that, you yeah. know, like 
um, your teacher or any sort of authority figure, any adult around you. That's kind of um, the initial sort of first introduction to the differences in bodies. And I like um, that weird one. It's how would people talk like that on the internet? It's like, I think it's called, I forgot what it's, it's A-H-M something. It's a weird thing where you go on YouTube and people talk like and they're very good at like whispering. Like it's a weird. Holy shit. It's really weird. That's, uh, that, you, there are, there are fetishes. Like, have you ever heard of unboxing? Mm-mm. It's like a massive fetish. It's, it's not even, a, I don't even know what it is. It's videos where people just take things out of a box. People, mm-hmm. And they have like millions of downloads. People just go, I'm taking this out of a box today. Mm. It's, it's very like, meditative. Yeah. It's like very like, I'm stripping down. I'm getting down to the bottom of. Whatever in my Amazon Prime. Yeah, I don't. I don't understand the draw of it, but I've seen them, and you, like I can see that. I can understand. I always got weirded out by um, when uh, somebody is in, encased in plastic, like it's like a, a weird carbonite, like on yeah. <laughs> solo fetish. Yeah, but when they, you know, they put you sort of in a plastic thing, and then they come take out the air. Yeah, I've seen that. Well, I've seen the, it, and it just. Yeah. Shrink, shrink wraps you? It shrink wraps you. Yeah, I saw one of those the other day, and I was like, oh, that's... In a weird way, it was kind of like... I was like, I can see... I can, if I had the the money and the time, and I didn't have a job, mm-hmm. and it was just me and my wife, and we didn't have kids, I could totally get weird. Yeah. But I think even now, I'm just hustling to get any sort of romance. Like, legit romance. That's the other thing, is like, when you're married, you want to... I don't, know, I don't know why we're talking about this. All right, look, real quick. I know we, we, we've we got to get you. I've got to get you out of here. But uh, I want to talk to you about uh, the business, the change in the business. We were talking about that this, this, the very beginning of this mm-hmm. and how accessible I think stuff like podcasting and shooting your own films, making your own TV shows, making movies. I think movies is still this uphill battle, but making your own TV shows, making your own webisodes and almost how, how you have to wear like many different hats in this business. Mm-hmm. Where Where are you going? Um, well, I am in development to do a show at Amazon, actually, um, which is uh, uh, for them. It's a drama comedy. Um, It's about uh, an Asian American family rising up in the medical marijuana industry in California. So this is a sort of big show for them and big for me. So we're, we're doing the pilot now and so that's next but I'm still doing the road and doing a lot of stuff and making music videos and my album's coming out on April 29th called American Myth and the single is out now it's called Anna Nicole it's about Anna Nicole Smith Okay. and uh, somebody who's very caught up in a lot of dif- difficult dark things and Heartbreaking. so yeah and it's a uh, my candle in the wind to her it's like goodbye Norma Jean or yeah. goodbye English Rose it's that to her and where did you meet Anna Nicole Smith? At her house in, I think, 2002 or something like that. And uh, she, we made out. It was really weird. It was really funny. She's so a beautiful. Money for that experience. She was so lovely and, and such, a, such an eternal child. You know, she was probably in her 30s then, but she was so uh, young inside. And, and so. She was a trip, you know, and, and uh, what happened to her was really difficult, but I'm very proud to have this memory and now this song, which is great. I made it with um, hundreds of Anna Nicole Smith impersonators at this like Hollywood castle. So it was like the Playboy Mansion. And so just going through and they're all like dancing and doing drugs. <laughs> and, and, and I was like in the pool and it's very, it's, it's very beautiful, I think. 
The heartbreaking, the heart wrenching part is that her son passed away just right before she just did. Just a couple of days before. From, or, yeah, and it, and it was in the hospital. In her hospital room, and then it when she yeah when when he was when she realized he was dead, it took them four hours to pry her off his body. Like she was in so much torture. And she just had a baby. Yeah. So there's a postpartum and then oh. this tragedy they both had the similar kind of drug issues and they also both grew up together you know he he was born she was very very young when she had him so it was very i think it, it i think that was really too much you yeah. know it was very hard no when uh are you guys going to use real marijuana in the in the amazon show? i don't think so i don't think we can't i mean i don't think i could get high and act <laughs> That would be really weird. I've, I've never done that. I think that you could probably get high and do stand-up comedy. That's hard too, though. It's it gets confusing. It's well, you, uh, for me. I've tried it, and you you think in I, I thought in very large paragraph forms, mm-hmm. and so I'd have a great idea, mm-hmm. and I'd be like, "Hold on, if I can get this out to you guys, you're gonna love it." But I can't promise you I can get it out. Yeah, like I have the concept really written down in yeah. my head. Yeah, do you need? I think you need all of your sort of capabilities, everything sort of open. But yeah, getting stoned and doing that is hard. But sometimes comics like they have to get stoned before, like they just don't feel regular. Like comedy and weed have a very long history. That's a very like it's like a jazz musician thing. You know, we sort of have the same connection there. It's some people have a hard time connecting to their. Uh, sometimes I, I, I know what you mean. I know some guys that have a hard time connecting to the freedom. To mm-hmm. like to letting you know when you get high, words will pop in or things will. Right. S- you're not in control a little bit. It's right. It's, it's almost like you're like like f- flying through the air. Mm-hmm. But I, I find I do stand up every time I do it better sober. Like oh yeah, hundred percent sober. Yeah, I'm mean, such a good stand up. Yeah, f- one cocktail and you can. I, I I believe you can tell. Oh yeah, me too. Yeah, I can tell difference. But I like I like to drink a little bit before, but you can't have too much roast. So you just. Like, oh, because it also intensifies in your bloodstream when you're up there. Like the adrenaline or something, yeah. like, makes the effect of the alcohol even stronger. Yeah. So it's always very, like, it's disorienting. Now, where are you with sobriety? Like, cause I know that you had, you partied pretty hard and then yeah. pulled back. Yeah, I, um, I uh, was sober for 10 years. And then I, um, now I, I like to smoke pot and drink a bit. You know, it's something that I, I know, like, it's got it's it's got to be like age or maturity. My approach to it is different, mm-hmm. but it's it's something that's sort of in my life, and it doesn't affect me like it did before. Yeah, yeah. I f- well, I mean, I, I I look at the way you create and produce, and it's just such a like it's such a it's like a focus. Mm-hmm. Like you you don't you're not you're not unfocused. No, and no. so I imagine I imagine I don't know whatever the booze and partying did for you put you in a place to be focused and now yeah. i can't imagine that shaking no but then also show business is kind of a drug too yeah you know show business is intensely gratifying and disappointing in the same way that drugs are you know like you just sort of you get used to a certain to- you get sort of tolerate a certain amount and then you want that again you want that and then you got to have more and more and it's the same sort of addictive properties that drive you towards more success i think yeah what is uh what's the there's a stupid question but i always say it to myself what's the five-year plan um i will ideally i mean ideally it doesn't have to be five years but like what would be like what would be like your 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 
best case scenario. Well, I would really like to bring another Asian American family to television. You know, that's yeah. my goal and a different kind of family that is we've that ever seen. Is that your great white whale? Yeah, that this is something that I tried before that didn't work. And then now we're living in a new era. And this is something that I, I feel, oh, this is the time to do it. And so now... <laughs> so sorry. I just I spit all over you. It's okay. But all I could hear is you going, like, uh, I, uh, I could hear you saying... Like, I've, I think I'm ready now. Like, and then repeating all the things that they didn't like about you. Like, I've lost weight. My yeah. face is less round. Like, I don't oh, look yeah. as Asian. Like, I know. I know. Yeah. I'm like so different now. <laughs> no, I mean, it's, um, yeah, it's definitely all of these things, but not, not necessarily like physically, but I'm like, now I'm old enough to appreciate it. Now I'm old enough to sort of know what to do and to be more uh, in command of something like that. Well, you, I think when you, how old were you when you did that sitcom? 22, 23. Holy So yeah, shit. it was super young. 22, and I imagine you were just putty, and they were just... I was just doing whatever anybody told me to do because I was so scared. Yeah. You know, and now I'm really not afraid, which is good, but I was really terrified. Have you had closure with Gail Berman? No, I want it because I, I really do love her. Yeah. And it's unfortunate because the way that... I I sort of approached it and talking about it unfortunately makes it hard for her because it's like she was in the process of you know doing this she was there and had to sort of talk to me about certain things but it wasn't her fault she was just the messenger she was uh, you know it's I they uh yeah I did a sitcom uh and the concept of Asian came up with someone and someone said something really off color and I was caught off guard Mm-hmm. And I was like, hey, just give me a heads up. I wouldn't say that to this person because that person would be really upset by it. And they're like, no, it's not what I think. I'm just telling you what the truth is. Uh-huh. And I was like, oh, that's even worse. Uh. <laughs> but like, yeah, I think uh, I know that I'd talked to Titus about Gail Berman. Oh, so I love Titus. I love, I really love Titus. I really love Titus. He's a great guy. He's such a good guy. He is. And He's that, a brilliant guy. Yeah, I love he, him. And the way he writes is pretty fascinating. He talked to me about story. So mm-hmm. I, t- I tell more stories on stage. I'm mm-hmm. not. I don't write very many jokes, and he really kind of broke down the way he works a story. And I kind of have been applying that that exercise to my writing now, and mm-hmm. it's helped immensely. Yeah, that's wonderful. Um, what would be the what would be the what would be the like? Would you would you love? Would it be would it would it would it feel great to wake up one morning and have an email from Gail Berman and going, "Hey, I l- just saw your your new Amazon show." Yeah. I'd, I mean, I would, I would love to talk to her. I would love to have closure with her, which I don't understand why, to, why I don't. But I, 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 she was my really good friend, and she did take a big chance on me as a kid, and I'll never forget that. I think she's a really great, great, great producer and a really good person. And I'd like to see her kids because now they're all they're all grown up now. Oh yeah, <laughs> the twins are now like adults. Um. Well, I, I really appreciate you doing this, Margaret. I'm, Thank I'm you. A, I'm. I've been a, I mean, I th- I'm a fan of comedy in general, mm-hmm. but any, I, I've been a fan of yours for a very long time and to kind of get to hang out with you. And, and the, the coolest part for me is to get an insight into your life because yeah. you know, you're, you're folklore mm-hmm. with comics. You are That's like, nice. you, 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 you're not, you, you're not someone hanging out at the clubs and drinking late night and telling all your secrets to mm-hmm. you're someone who shares your secrets on a global platform. Yeah. And as a comic, we look at it and you're like, Oh, well. Now my my spray is being allowed to go a little wider because someone like Margaret took the chance to to take big swings, yeah. and now because you do that, I get to do that, and so yeah, I mean you're you're a groundbreaker, so well, I really you. appreciate you doing this. Thank you very much.
This episode was brought to you by The Machine.